Hi everyone and welcome to the Substantial at Risk podcast. In this episode, we're going to focus only on one topic and it's the upcoming Euro 2020 football championship that starts in Rome with one year delay on Friday. The inaugural match is going to be between Turkey and Italy, which may prove quite a crucial match for the remaining of the tournament, but more on that later. So the idea uh, for this episode is to go through all the groups, break down the teams and suggest betting tips uh, in terms of antepost betting, both at the team level, looking at uh, how many points the team can do, where they can arrive in the tournament, then at group level, meaning what teams are going to qualify or what teams are going to finish bottom or first in the group, and then at tournament level, some words on like who is the favorite and what could be the finalist, uh, those kind of bets. So let's start with Group A, which is Italy's group. Now, Italy is a team that I like uh, because it's in that sweet spot for me of luxury outsiders where they are not expected to win necessarily, but they certainly have the squad to do just that. Now, we see the odds on Italy winning the tournament shortening a lot, tightening a lot in recently. Uh, they used to be listed at 15, then they went down to 12, and now they're down to 9, which means that the betting market is taking notice of the impressive run uh, that Italy has recorded under uh, the manager Mancini. And indeed, looking back at Italy's wins in major tournaments, uh, major tournaments, I mean both European Championship and World Cups, they tend to be sneakily good teams with a pristine track record going into the tournament, but they, they are not like overhyped. They're usually teams that are good because they show that on the pitch, but they are not good that good on a roster level that you go and say, oh, this team is actually one of the best in this competition. But historically, Italy tends to do their best when they are good, but not that hyped good, which to be fair, it's not just Italy in general, <laughs> but at least in Italy's case, it's something that has happened more than once in, in their history and in their wins. Uh, the strength of uh, this Italian team is in the goalkeeper, for sure, Donnarumma, but then they have one of the best midfield in the world. They have uh, with Verratti, Giorginio and Barella. They are three complementary pieces, and they when they play all together, they, they match up perfectly with each other, and they create a lot of problems to the op- opposing midfield. So the team is built around those three. Uh, there's also other good alternatives in the midfield, but those are the three key players. Italian defense is solid, not excellent, uh, but solid, and it's built around the veteran block. There are still also some young, interesting players like Bastoni. We'll see how much they're going to play. But the, the block of uh, Bonucci and Chiellini has certainly a lot of international experience, which uh, you probably need to win a tournament of this, ta- this kind. The wings are not excellent players at international level, but Italian wings are many. <laughs> there are many of them, and there's bound to be at least one or two players that will show up big at the Euros. So those are not like a major area of concern. The big question mark for Italy is the striker. Immobile and Belotti, they're not really first-class options, at least at an international level so far. So if Immobile has a belated breakout tournament internationally, He's been good uh, domestically for a while now, but never performed well internationally. If he has that big breakout, which is not that rare for strikers when they get older, 
then I think Italy has a very good chance, has a very big chance of winning the tournament overall. Now, Italy's first game versus Turkey is very important because Turkey is a team on the rise that, for me, can make a surprise run this year. If Italy wins that match, they go on the upper bracket and make that bracket the most difficult for everyone. Vice versa, if Italy goes to the lower bracket because maybe they draw against Turkey or even lose, then Italy becomes a team that flies more under the radar and opens many interesting opportunities in terms of uh, semifinals matchups for all the teams involved. So that's why I say it's the first game, but it's quite important. Um, Turkey is a good team because they have a solid goalkeeper. They're not too shabby on defense. They have players like Soyuncu, Muldur, Demiral, Shelik with international experience. They play in uh, uh, major domestic leagues. Uh, the midfield is a bit of a question mark because Tufan and Chalanoglu are both good players when they're on, but they're a bit uh, mercurial. You never know what to expect out of them. In terms of strikers, Burak Ilmaz has just won the league gun with Lille. <laughs> he's had a very good season, a surprise one because like, he's, he's the kind of guy that was always a bit on the radar but was never like uh, the striker that makes you go and say, oh, dude, this guy's going to score like 20 goals this season. But he proved that... Uh, that he could do that with Lille. And if he keeps that form, then Turkey becomes quite an interesting team because they 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 can have good build-up play and they can have also a, a good scorer up front. Paired it with a good defense and then you have a contender. And indeed, one crazy bet that I like is an Italy-Turkey final, uh, which would be like the first and the last game would be the same. It's already happened in the history of Euros. It happened in 2004, was it? Yeah, with uh, Portugal and Greece. And it could happen again. I think um, uh, those are nice odds. It's listed at 81. Crazy odds, but uh, why not take a shot? The rest of the group is composed by Switzerland and Wales. Now, Switzerland is the usual sturdy team that we're used to, but talent-wise, it's not as good as recent iteration of the squad. Now, the defensive backs are still top players internationally. Uh, they have Wittmer, Bambu, Akanji, uh, Rodriguez, Elvedi. However, center backs is a bit more of a concern. Granit Xhaka is the leader of the midfield, but he's the only one which has a bit of also defensive role in there, because otherwise the rest of the Swiss midfielders are more offensively minded, which I think it's a weakness for a team like Switzerland that tend to be like their main stress is organization rather than build up play. However, they do have these intensing options, especially on the wings with Ruben Vargas, Memedi, Zuber. Uh, striking wise, Embolo or Seferovic, I don't particularly like them. Those are the kind of strikers that are heavily dependent on the rest of the team, building up plays for them. And I don't see that happening unless Shaka has a monster tournament where he becomes like this pivot defensive. Uh, playmaker that can do can do both roles consistently and throughout the, the entirety of the game. If that happens, then maybe Switzerland make a run. Otherwise, I think they're they're kind of fragile defensively, much more than in the past. I think Switzerland is a, an early exit candidate, and I, indeed I like them not to qualify from the group stage. That's listed at two twenty five, and since I don't see them playing many matches. I like the odds of an outsider being the team top goal scorer. You can get odds on who's going to be the guy in the team that scores most goals for uh, their team in that tournament. And I like the guy to be Ruben Vargas for Switzerland. 
it won't start most likely in the first game. But if I, as I believe, Switzerland is gonna is gonna struggle a lot to score goals, it might be entering the game later uh, in the second half or be a starter in the third game, for example. And I can see them scoring one or two goals and becoming the the team top goal scorer. At 15, I think it's a good odd because Ruben Vargas is a good talent, plays for Augsburg in um, in the Bundesliga. And it's a bit under the radar for most of the world, but I think he's a top-class talent. Then we have Wales. Wales, uh, well, Wales is not a good team, uh, especially since uh, Ramsey and Bell are not the players they used to be five years ago when they made this miraculous run to the, to the semis. To be fair, that was more due to Belgian incompetence. <laughs> that being said, I think that the defense is suspect despite the good stats. They have good defensive stats because they played the super competition in the past years. But overall, I really don't like how this team is shaping up to be, especially with all the noise around Gareth Bale. He's going to play golf. He wants to retire after the tournament. It doesn't really help. <laughs> and therefore, considering also the team has a credit fortune at the previous Euros, I can definitely see them lose all three games in this group. Uh, on top of all things I mentioned, I think that matchup-wise, they they are pretty disadvantaged against all of those other three teams in the in the group stage. So Wales making zero points or losing all of their games is listed at six fifty, and I like those odds. Overall, obviously, I like Italy and Turkey to advance here as first and second, and that's listed at uh, two seventy five. Group B. Belgium is the favorite. However, I have to say that despite the good results at the World Cup in 2018 when they made the semis against France, I still don't like at all the way uh, Martinez, the manager, has Belgium playing. Lukaku has had the rocket of a season, but in a system that is built around him. That won't be the case here for Belgium, where they have to feed the Hazard brothers with Eden being a question mark because he hasn't played much football lately. They had to fit in Mertens and obviously De Bruyne. De Bruyne, I think, is out for with uh, with an injury for the first game, by the way. Those are very important weapons for Belgium. I see them struggling with the system that they have in place because they, they play with um, 3-5-2 or better, they play with a 3-1-4-2 where the one, the pivot, is the most important player in the team, and the troll should be Witzel. Now, he was a decent in the troll at the World Cup, but he has been, his performance lately has not been that good, and he's always a question mark. He's not a player that I'm going to trust with, my, with everything, really, because if he doesn't perform well, this team collapses. Now, the, uh, the, the other problem with Belgium is the defense. Their three backs are Alderweil, Vertonghen, and Denayer. Denayer is the only young guy in there, and he doesn't have much experience. Alderweil are Vertonghen. They haven't played much in club football recently. I don't know. To me, it looks like it's, it, it's a very bad idea to have like this, this set up. If this team was playing in a different way, maybe with a 4-3-1-2 uh, or four, with a 4-1-4-1, something like that, I would have liked their odds much better because talent-wise is obviously a great team. But as it is, I do see them struggling in all of their group stage matches. I think they're going to finally prevail on talent alone because the talent gap is 
huge in this group, but I don't see them advance much farther in this tournament. The other three teams in this group are Denmark, Finland, and Russia. Those are all three interesting team betting-wise. Now, Denmark is a bit of a conundrum because it's a team that I really want to like, since they do have a top-tier underrated defense in my mind with Christiansen and Kiar, and more than one competent defensive back on the, on the side. And they also have like very solid midfield with plenty of international experience with Eriksen, Delaney, and Neuberg. In front, they have several, albeit unexciting options, but there are, they have many of those. And w- whenever I see many mediocre options, if you want, um, I, I think it's always a good thing because you can be sure that at least your team are going to merge and do well. And indeed, I think they may get good performances out of players like Skov, Brightwhite, and Yusuf Paulson. So they could do well in this group. And this group could end up being much more balanced than people believe. But after they advance, because they think they're going to advance, it's a very difficult team to predict. If they look at their odds of winning the, the tournament, they are quite low. They are 26 because people recognize this talent in this team. However, it's um, again, it's a conundrum because at those odds, they're difficult to back, even as a surprise team for me. Finland, instead, is my favorite underdog team of the entire tournament, probably. Um, I'm not even going to mention the players' names here because if you're knowledgeable about football, you may know some of them. But generally speaking, this is a bad roster. This is a bad squad compared to most teams that are at the Euros. However, the strength of this team is how organized they are in all facets of the game. And usually when you look at those teams historically or traditionally, they're a good defensive team and they struggle up front. But Finland best players are up front. Their forwards, Poyampalo, Force, Puki, those are their, their main guys, and they play up front. So with organization on the defensive side of the ball, and with guys that can create scoring opportunities and manufacture goals out of nowhere, this can be a very difficult team to beat. Uh, I think the Finland can do very well in this group. I see them winning versus Russia, and I think they're going to get one or two draws, uh, at least one draws against Belgium and Denmark. And for example, if you want Finland uh, to qualify out of the group, they're listed at 350. Another good bet is Finland scoring exactly four points, which is 750. I think that's the most likely outcome for Finland in this, in this group. And another good one is Finland to be eliminated in quarterfinals which I really think is something achievable for them. Uh, it, that, that option existed at 21. Basically, what I see in Finland is Iceland in 2016, when they reached the quarterfinal playing sound, organized, defensive football, but being able to score. I think it's a very similar team, and I can project a very similar outcome. So I do believe they reached the quarterfinals and then they got ousted by a clearly much better team than them. Russia, instead, is the team that I see coming in last year. The odds of that happening is three, which I think is good odds. Uh, This is another team similar to Wales with with a huge credit with fortune at the last World Cup, where they reached the quarterfinals playing a very questionable brand of football that mostly rely on luck, really. But since luck is mean reverting, I think the Russians are in for a very bad awakening. 
there are two or three talented midfielders in Golovin, Cherishev and Miranchuk. But they have a very bad defense, I think, including goalkeeper doesn't give you any guarantees. Um, they, they're just no use to place against good competition. I think that defense, uh, the way it is shaped, is, is a ticket for disaster, really. And up front, they really need to, to rely on Juba, which honestly is not where you want to be as a team if you know you're going to struggle defensively. So I'm really low on Russia's chances of making it out of this group. Group C. Group is a, is an hard one to crack, which means I don't have many betting tips about it. My main suggestion is that I have a feeling Ukraine may underwhelm a finish last in this group, and that's listed at five, which I found to be quite interesting odds. The reason I say that, that Ukraine can struggle, is that 19, 19 players in the squad play in the Ukrainian Premier League. Now, they mostly play in Shakhtar and Dynamo Kiev, which are like international teams, you could argue, but they're not exactly the stars of those teams. So while these players that are used to international play, they're not really that good <laughs> at football. Now, this is a clear choice made by the manager, which is, by the way, is Andrei Shevchenko. It's something that could pay off with the quarterfinal the final run, if like the team coalesce very well against like sound tactical principles, but it's more likely to completely backfire for me. Uh, that's because the defense has very severely limited international experience. The midfield is also quite inexperienced outside of Yarmolenko, but is not really the player you want to rely on. Malinowski may be a breakout tournament. Tar, however, is 28, so it's not like exactly a team. He played very well for Atalanta, but everybody plays very well for Atalanta. So I, at 28, if he has not exploded in the international scene yet, maybe he's really not that great. And then we have Yaremenchuk up front, which might start. Uh, he had a brilliant season. The problem that he had a brilliant season at Gant in the Jupiler Pro League in Belgium where defenses are really, well, I mean, let's just say it's quite easy to score in Belgium. So, yeah, I think Ukraine may struggle mightily. Again, quite volatile, though, because if things go a certain way, if Shashenko is right, then there's a quarterfinal possibility for them, but it's more likely that they struggle a lot. Netherlands is the favorite to win this group. It's a team that they, before all of the COVID issues, I would have put them on the best outsider, so in the same realm of Italy, basically. But now, not so much anymore. Obviously, the upsets of Van Dijk is a big hit, but I do think they have valid alternatives on the defense with the leaked De Vrij and Ake, and also Veltman. I think it's a solid defense, even more than solid. However, what worries me is the lack of playmakers outside of Frankie de Jong. Frankie de Jong, if you watch him play at Barca, is a great player, but not exactly a consistent one. So if he's not on, this team can struggle a lot building up plays. So unless they found like another savior, um, for example, 19-year-old Graven Barsch, he plays for Ajax, uh, he, he certainly has the, has the talent, and uh, traditionally the Dutch team and an uncanny ability to get very young players uh, shining on the big stage out of nowhere. So it cannot be ruled out. But unless they found like 
this miracle player, or unless the youngest, a miracle run of consistency, then it's a team that is going to struggle creating uh, much uh, opportunities up front. If they do, though, up front, I think they're well equipped because they have the pie, which is coming out, Memphis the pie, which is coming out of his best season yet, uh, playing for uh, his club. And then Weghorst, uh, which plays for Wolfsburg in, um, in Germany, and they're very good scoring options. What the other problem is, is that I don't really sure how they're going to play. For example, Depay and Weghorst, I would make them play together. But I don't think that's what the bird is in mind. Frank de Boer is the manager of the Netherlands, and he plays a 5-3-2, which I think is quite confusing for this squad. He also tries different things in different games, but he lacks clear ideas, and that's a problem that kind of um, uh, followed him whenever he went. Uh, he's, a, he's a guy that I think is a very good uh, coach, talent-wise, that he coached players up, but at the same time, as a manager, he lacks clear ideas. And that translates into a lot of issues coming in the big tournament like this one. So Netherlands obviously can surprise. And we'll know that pretty soon. Netherlands, since, uh, traditionally, if Netherlands starts strong, they make a run. So watch out for the first game. And after the first game, you have a good idea on where they're headed. <laughs> in the Group C, we also have Austria. And you know what? Austria is a complete team, apart from maybe the goalkeeper, where I don't really like their options there. But while they do not have many alternatives in the, on the bench, the starting eleven is quite good. Uh, now, Alaba is their most known player. He's probably their best player. And he provides a lot of flexibility on the way that this team can play. They can play 3-4-2, they can play 3-4-3, they can play 4-3-3, they can even play 4-4-2 if they want to. Now, the bulk of the teams plays in the Bundesliga, which I think it's a plus compared to other mid-tier teams where players play in much worse domestic leagues. And I like many of the, of the players on these teams. The, the fullbacks in Liner and Trimmer are nice. Interregger is a good defensive leader. Up front, they, find the, they found this guy, Kalasic, which does his job. It's nothing flashy, but does his job. And Sabitzer... He's an excellent player. I like this player a lot. I hope he's going to have uh, a very good tournament. And they also have uh, Baumgartner, which is their captain. And he's a sturdy defensive midfield, quite experienced internationally. Overall, a very solid team. So I like their chances of reaching the quarterfinals, which is listed at 450. And to finish up this group, we have North Macedonia, previously known as former Yugoslavian Republic of Macedonia. North Macedonia has an outside shot at qualifying because they, they can beat Ukraine and will play quite defensively, meaning they won't concede many goals. The two most known players are probably Alyoski, which is a starting fullback for Leeds, and 37-year-old Pandev, which is the captain and won a triplete with Inter. Uh, that was a while ago. Those are the two most famous people. However, the best player right now is Elif Elmas, who plays for Napoli, I think he's 21 or 22-year-old. He's a very skillful midfielder, can play both on the wing and center. He's probably their best player. They also have like um, Bardi and Trajkowski that play in Spain with some international experience. And overall, looking at the entirety of the squad, this is not much worse than Russian Finland. It's probably 
better than Finland and as good as Russia in terms of squad. Um, the problem is that I just see them struggling to put a lot of goals on the board, but they might not have the need to to advance. They might just uh, sneak in a one nil win against Ukraine, and then that might be enough. Uh, so it's not outside of the realm of possibilities. It's not like um, a bad team in itself. Group D. Group D, uh, I love this group. I love this group because it's a pretty interesting group to, to break down. Obviously, the main protagonist here is England. And England is seen by many bookies as the favorite, which I think is crazy. And the reason why it's crazy is because what happens in whenever England is playing a tournament, is that most of the batters in Europe, at least, are uh, live in England, which means that they invest money in England winning, which depletes their odds, which in this case, quite a pity, because I think that England, if it was, uh, it had more decent odds, would be a nice team to back. But currently, it's listed as six, which is crazy. Now, this squad has so much quality in the midfield and forwards, that I think can win against anyone. But the problem with England is that they have, they have three problems, which are quite big when you put them all together. First of all, they do have too many offensive choices. Now, this would be a luxury under a competent manager. But Southgate is not a competent manager. Therefore, having all these offensive options may become a burden because it's difficult to keep out Rashford or keep out Mount or keep out Foden. But there's no way they can all play together. Because apart from Kane, which is the cornerstone of this team offensively, anyone else is not is dispensable, really. You just need to find a system that you like and that you can play consistently good football. And I don't think they're there yet. And that's squarely on the manager, not the players. Second guessing is going to start happening in the press if offensively they don't shine. And Southgate will bear all the pressure. I, I don't like the way the situation can evolve. The other problem that England have is that they have two starting centre-backs that are just not good. Now, Maguire and Stones are the type of defenders that if you put them um, with a partner which is good at defending, they shine. But if you put them together, they're problematic. Uh, take Stones. Stones had the good city a good season with City because he had Ruben Diaz playing with him. And again, Stones is the classic player that if you put them to with a good, very good centre-back, he's going to play great. If you put them together with Maguire, it's a disaster waiting to happen. Again, Stones is not a good defender, period. Maguire uh, is a good defender, but he, he's shown more than once that he cannot keep concentration high consistently at a high level where he needs to be. So overall, defensively, there are several concerns. And again, with a different manager, if I was the manager there, I would say my, our defense is crap. So we, we, we don't need to win games 1-0. We need to game, win games 4-2. And I think this is a team that can win games 4-2 against anyone. But they need a manager that is courageous enough to go with that. And I don't think they have it. Then the third problem with England is that the semis and final in Wembley are a nightmare for them. I think, in general, playing finals at home is never a good thing. For England, it's going to be much worse because they haven't won a major tournament since 1966, which means that winning a tournament at home again, by the way, is the only time they won was at Wembley, is going to be so much players, so much pressure on these players. Uh, it's unimaginable 
amount of pressures. They are the teams that they are they have the more pressure to win. So those are the three weaknesses. Because otherwise, I, I like this team a lot. Talent wise, is top two in this tournament. That being said, I do think they're going to make the semis. I think they they, they have um, they play in this group two teams in Czech Republic and Croatia, which are good teams, but they're teams that have recently beaten England. So statistically, England, I don't think they're going to lose again against those teams. Uh, so they will win the group. They will have a nightmare matchup in last 16 and quarterfinals because they, their bracket might be very, very bad. But they think that since they're not the favorite necessarily in those matchups against, uh, they could be playing Portugal, Germany, and Spain, they could actually win those games and get to the semis. And that's when the pressure is going to be that big. On the positive side, I strongly believe that if they do make the final, they win it. And indeed, for me, it's also an emotional edge. I really like the bet of England beating Italy in the final. You can get that at 50 odds and you can thank me later. I also like Jadon Sancho to be the top team goal scorer. The reason I say that is that Sancho is the player, is a, a streaky player, both within games and like in games that are played close to each other. I do think he can score two, even three goals in a single game, uh, maybe against uh, uh, Czech Republic or Scotland. And therefore, he might be well positioned to be uh, the team's goal scorer, despite this team clearly have clearly having Kane being the overwhelming favorite to be the team goal scorer. You can get Sancho, top team goal scorer, 17, and I, I do like uh, those odds. Now, the rest of the group is also quite interesting. Croatia is an aging team. There's no going around that. Uh, Modric is 36, I think. But they also brought interesting young players uh, in the midfield, like Brekalo and Orsic. And Orsic, look out for this guy. I think this guy is very good. He can have a breakout tournament, and I like the chances of him being the uh, top goal scorer for Croatia 15. And they also have interesting young talent on defense in Bardiol and Brdaric. Those are young pieces to have. However, the main question mark for me is Kramaric. Kramaric needs to be the man up front for Croatia to advance. He's coming out, uh, coming off probably one of his best season. He might not start because they, they, uh, they are fixated on Petkovic as a starter. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I... I don't see them repeating the success they had in 2018. Uh, but Kramaric is the key man for Croatia, I think. That being said, I think we'll, they will struggle advancing from this group. I'd be more surprised if they make the semis than if they get out in the, in the group stage. Simply because they're coming out a huge success in 2018 when they made the final of the World Cup. And it's difficult to repeat yourself, especially if you're an aging team with... Um, some tactical uh, issues. Czech Republic is another interesting team in this group. They're having a renaissance. Kofal and Sosek surprised many people at West Ham this season. Schick is a prolific scorer in the kind of tactical setup the Czech Republic plays with. And I don't think they have particularly weak points. The main problem for them is international experience for this squad in general. So I don't see them advancing much, but in this group, I think they, they're going to make four points in advance. 
Scotland is the remaining team in this group. Uh, while clearly the worst of the four teams, I do think they can advance. The odds of them advance, advancing are 220, which is a bit low. They're low because, again, most of betters lives in the United Kingdom and you don't get good odds for teams for the UK nations. But I do think they have a chance of advancing. Um, Tierney and Robertson is fullback. I'm not sure they're going to make them play both. They played with three backs, with uh, Tierney being one of the three backs, and Robertson playing on the wing. I'm not sure I like that solution much, but also I don't really know how you play two backs that plays on the same side in the same squad. Um, and I think they have a great midfield for Scotland. I mean, I don't think they had many times such a good midfield. They have McTominay, Fleck, Armstrong, McGinn. Those are all good Premier League players. So this is a hard team to face and to beat. They've shown that in the qualification process. For me, the problem is offense. Che Adams is their best offensive option, and that's quite worrying. <laughs> um, I think that limits their potential for a deep run. I think they're their best, the ceiling, it says, making to the last 16. But they have a, a good chance of happening, because in this group, anything can happen, really. Uh, if I were a Scottish fan, I would not be that bearish. Group P. Group P is by far the worst group <laughs> in terms of quality. Obviously, the favorite is Spain here. Spain is a, it's the hardest team to read in this tournament. On one side, I think they are the most suited team to beat France in a direct confrontation which makes them probably one of the favorites. On the other side, I wouldn't be surprised if they get hosted by a mid-tier team in the last 16. That's because Luis Enrique has assembled a team which I think is the right mix of veterans and brilliant young players, where Spain has unlimited supply of technically savvy, great young players. However... The lack of Real Madrid and Barcelona block, which was something that was uh, discussed a lot in the press, especially the Spanish press, is something very new for a, for a Spanish national team. It could be a problem in terms of T-dynamics and now in terms of leadership. And it also, again, makes for a, a very strange mix, very hard to predict. The other question mark for me is Luis Enrique itself because it's, his teams tend to be uh, easily exposed, especially on the wings, on the defensive side. And in general, he's not a manager that can adapt during a difficult match. The four, Spain, path to glory, in my mind, is one of domination. It's one in which this team clicks together, in which Luis Enrique tactics work against all the teams they meet. Because if they struggle with their initial tactics, with the way they play, they're going to be out. And that can happen really any time from the last 16 on. So Spain, together with the Netherlands, is the one team that we really need to look at uh, how they play the group stage. And then we're going to have a much better read on what their chances are. But as I said, this team is the one with the most volatile range of outcomes. I think last 16 to final, equally probable for me. The rest of the group, as I said, is quite bad. I mean, Poland is the clear favorite to come in second. And the idea of having a Portuguese manager for Poland is a good one on paper. 
The problem is that outside of Zinliski, I don't see many playmakers there. Uh, I do think Poland should be playing more like an, an Italian team. So giving that they have the offensive juggernaut of Lewandowski up front, really should just defend and counter-attack. I think they should be doing that. Uh, having a Portuguese manager doesn't really put you there. <laughs> it puts you like in a different brand of s- football, which I'm not sure fits this team at all. Uh, so it's an intriguing team for sure. They tend to underachieve, historically, Poland. But we'll see. They play a very easy group, I think. Sweden, for me, is a candidate for bottom of the group. And really, here the same rational use for Russia applies. They got extremely lucky in 2018 at the World Cup. They play a brand of football which, I'm not going to sugarcoat, is quite shite, <laughs> in my point of view. And they're still sticking to it. I think... Proof enough is that they, they're more creative players, Kuluseski, that starts for Juve. He sits on the bench for Sweden, uh, where they prefer to start a player like Berg, which if you've seen him play, he, he's like technically speaking, I think he's like a, a fourth-tier player. So if they stick to those tactics, they got lucky once, they're not going to get lucky twice. I think they maybe they draw Slovakia in this group, but that's it for them. And the Slovakia is another team I don't particularly like. They're similar to Poland in many respects, but they don't have a Lewandowski up front. <laughs> uh, the midfield is a tough one to face with Kuczka, Duda, Lobotka and uh, veteran captain Amcic. And defensively, they have a starting screener and other good players in Bavro and Pekarik. The problem is that at forward, is a technical desert. There's really no good players there. So... They're going to struggle a lot scoring, especially in this group. And this group is going to be a snore fest. There might be some very boring nil-nil in this group. And unless Spain unleash one of those teams and win 5-0-6-0 just because they, they, they destroy the position, this group might end up averaging one goal a game or less. So... Not interesting to watch and not interesting to bet on. Finally, Group F, that is officially the group of death, is probably the, the mother of all group of deaths. Because we have Portugal, which is the incoming European winner, and then we have the last two world champions in Germany and France. <laughs> so, and if it doesn't, if that's not enough, I do think that Hungary is a sneakily good team that I would have liked to see in another group. <laughs> um, I've in this group, though, I can see them taking points away from Portugal and Germany, less likely from France. And indeed, France being first and Hungary second is my crazy bet for this group, and you can find it at 34. Now, why I don't like Germany? Germany's squad is still top three in terms of talent in the world, not just in Europe. But they play so bad under love in the past five years, which is, makes basically impossible to trust at this point. Now, Germany failing a big tournament happens once in 25 years, and it just happened in 2018. Them failing twice has never happened in the history of football. So we're going against tradition and statistics here, but Germany game is so flat that if you pair it with this kind of group they're going to face, they're going to be exposed from game from match one and they're going to struggle a lot, a lot to come out of this group. 
they, I think they are very exposed to an upset against Hungary. Now, Hungary, uh, without the injury to Sholobai, is less of an offensive force, but they still play balanced counter-attacking football, which seems to be the kryptonite for Germany. Germany, in the past five years, shown that they can simply not play against a well-organized team. They're not going to score on them, and they're going to concede one or two goals on the counter-attack. Just look at the Germany recent games. That happens a lot. So, I mean, yeah, I don't see Germany doing much at these Euros, uh, which is a pity because they're wasting, like, so much talent in this team. Portugal, um, I think the main protagonist for Portugal is not going to be Ronaldo. <laughs> I think Diego Jota, because he's playing with Ronaldo, is going to have so many scoring opportunities. I like him to be the top team goal scorer, eight. But I also like him to be the top goal scorer overall of this tournament. Overall, in this group, France should win it. They may be caught napping in one of the three games that they play. But overall, France is a team that even in this group of death should breeze through it and should breeze it through at least the quarterfinals without much problems. Then obviously, once you reach the quarterfinals, there are many factors in place. But for me, France are the favorite to win it all. And the 550, 5.50 is not even such bad odds. France listed the 5.50 with England listed the 6. Is like, I, I, if you do spread betting, you should buy France and sell England at those odds. So to recap, if I had to rank teams in terms of how I see them favorite to win it all, my top five goes like France first, Italy second, Spain third, England fourth, and Portugal fifth. I haven't talked much about Portugal. For me, they are in the same realm of Italy and England, if it wasn't for the fact that they just won the Euros. <laughs> and they do have a credit to fortune. I think that's very important in football and in big tournaments to see what they've done recently, because repeating yourself is so, so difficult. So while I think that uh, at squad level, there are very similar chances of winning it all than England and Italy, I think they take a step back because they just won it in 2016. And then, as I said, for me, the favorite surprise winner will be Turkey. And my favorite Cinderella, I already said it, is, is Finland. I do think they have a chance of going to the quarterfinal. And, and that's it, really. I think uh, it's... It's going to be quite an interesting tournament to follow. I do believe that the last, uh, yeah, the last Euros and the last World Cup technically were quite disappointing. I think this is not going to be the case this time around. I think we're going to see some pretty good teams making to the semis. At least I hope so. So I think we are in for a good tournament. I'm much more optimistic than I was uh, before 2019 World Cup that we're going to see some good football being played. Tournament starts on Friday, Friday 11th, and concludes on July 12th, I think. So it's going to keep us busy for, 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 for a month, really. And it's a good appetizer for the huge summer we're going to have with the Olympics later on. 
So that concludes the episode. I hope you enjoy it. I hope I didn't make any of you mad because when we talk about international football and there are like uh, national <laughs> pride in, in play, people get upset, but it's just my <laughs> better opinion on, on those teams. Nothing personal with any of those. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.